Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be welcoming Dr. Tim Church. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Wonder Health. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. So uh, if you would, um, set the, uh, uh, the listeners uh, on your background. Give us a little bit of context of your story to this point, because it bears a lot of relevance to the discussion we're going to have. It, it does. And thank you for, for letting me, let me talk about that. I am a physician trained in public health and preventive medicine. So my whole view is most good for the most people. I spent most of my career in academic research. I ran a massive research shop looking at healthy aging, um, a, lot, a lot of things around exercise and everything you can name. And of course, weight loss, everything from behavioral programs to medications to the mechanisms of weight loss to the role that exercise plays in weight loss and keeping weight off. And, um, you know, it was through that that I really got involved kind of with, with corporate America and ways that you can impact lives um, in, 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 at a really large level. So uh, it, it feels like almost an inflection point although I don't think it is when we're talking about obesity. I think that inflection point actually occurred a number of years ago, but it's almost as if there's another one because of these new drugs that are on the scene. But before we get into some of that, let's talk a little bit about the history. I mean, we've seen this sort of steady, well, I'm going to say steady, but at some point it feels like it's a hockey stick of increase. Um, you know, I think there were some notable things for me in part of the history. One that stood out because I traveled a lot was when the airline said, right, the average weight is now going from 190 to 200 because we've got to account for this additional weight. What do you think has been happening to cause that? And and give us a little bit of context of what's happened in terms of trying to address it over that period of time Man, before we get to today. We're starting off with an easy question. Um, <laughs> boy, you you wanna you you wanna start a fight amongst researchers, throw out there what caused the obesity epidemic. Um, there's a website that actually lists things that have been considered contributors to the obesity website. Last time I checked it, they were like 270. I'm gonna tell you a fun story. Um, I'm from Salinas, California. I grew up working in the lettuce fields. And so one day it dawned on me, how does physical labor play into the obesity epidemic? So we actually pulled all the US employment data that, that we have remarkable data on what Americans do for a living. And in 1950, in 1950, no, 1960, one out of two Americans their job, they worked. They did physical labor. And if you if you add up the calories, it was a lot of calories they were burning every day. And if you watch from, 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 from 1960 all the way into the 2000s, the amount of work at work goes down, 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 down. And we could calculate how many calories have been removed from the workday. And then we said, all right, well, what does that mean in terms of weight? And we took those calories and we extrapolated what that would do to weight gain. And it exactly matched the weight gain trends in the U.S. And so we were able to say, look, at, you know, we said it a little tongue in cheek, but, you know, the obesity epidemic is because no one works at work anymore. We all sit down for a living. I don't believe that's the only cause. 
But it's a great example of how the environment has changed. Clearly, the food supply has changed. Clearly, the components of the food supply has changed. It's a fun debate, but it doesn't help anybody because we, we haven't found kind of the smoking gun, so to speak, when it comes to helping people, um, you know, uh, deal with their weight. So I, I, I'm going to push back a little just because I guess it's a, a personal aspect to me when when you talk about smoking gun. But I feel like there is and maybe that, you know, this is part of my bias in terms of answering that. I know where you're question. going. <laughs> say the word. It's sugar, right? There. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> It is a player. It is a player. I, I, I don't debate that. You've got to remember, though, you know, we're all so different. We all have such different genetics, especially I'm, when it comes I'm to I'm sorry, weight. but if you've seen the life of Brian, you know we're not all different. So I, it's funny. I was telling someone the other day, they're like, they were like, why did they used to focus on fat? Now they focus on sugar. Because 30 years ago, like the number one predictor of your weight and the number one predictor of keeping weight off was the amount of fat you ate. So at that time, like fat was the thing. And then because of uh, carbs coming into, into the food supply and sugar coming into the food supply, there was this massive shift where no, actually sugar content became kind of one of the better predictors of, of, of weight gain and, 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 and success when it comes to weight loss. So I agree with you for a lot of people, carbs are the answer. But not for everybody. And I get this all the time. I cut a bunch of carbs out of my diet and I'm still gaining weight. What's going on? I'm like, well, you're not a carb sensitive person. You know, you're actually a fat sensitive person. You need to focus on getting fat out of your diet. So while I agree with you, and for a lot of people, that's true. I do think it is more complicated than that. And we've totally engineered activity out of out of our lives. Um, and yeah. it only gets worse every year. I, I I think fair points. And, you know, again, it's it's partially it's bias playing in. And, you know, some of this is about the sad diet, you know, the, the but that, you know, but it's just, it's just so important because you can't you can't when you talk about weight, it's somewhere around religion and politics and money. <laughs> and I don't care what you're talking about. It comes into play. I like to challenge doctors. I'm like, tell me if your topic, arthritis, heart disease, whatever it is, is on the supermarket magazines as you check out. It's not. Mine is. Yours isn't. And it, it, it complicates all this. And, and these, these phones and social media, it just makes it worse because, you know, you spend so much time debunking myths rather than helping people to get at the truth, which can actually help themselves. So could we agree that the causative agents in this case are carbohydrates, fat, protein, and exercise. Yes, of course. <laughs> he says covering all the bases. That was, that was slippery, but well done. <laughs> so that we can move on to your point. Yeah. And rather than looking at that, thinking about what do we do about it? Well, let's be clear. You, you look at the stats. We've clearly been in, ineffective. You've been involved in this for a long period of time. Why is that? What's going on? Because we're not meant to lose weight and keep it off. You know, we you, you look at incretins, these these molecules produced by by the the the, the intestines and the GI tract. I mean, we incretins didn't even exist when we trained. Mm. We didn't know what GLP one. We didn't know what amylin was. It didn't exist. We didn't understand that these things are, are actually probably more important than the insulins of the world, the glucagons of the world. And, and, and so, you know, you've, the studies have been done, and these are New England Journal studies, and, you know, these people lose a lot of weight, and they track them over a year, and they watch what happens to their incretins. 
And the incretins that suppress hunger, well, guess what? Those go away. And the incretins that promote hunger, those increase. So the whole set point thing, and it kind of, I don't love set point, but it's generally true. Your body wants to go back to whatever weight it was at. And you have lots of redundant systems in your brain to make sure you do. And that's where these medications come in. Now, that's large amounts of weight. If you're talking three to 5%, so say 10 pounds, your body doesn't kick back as much. You know, people can be very, very successful with behavioral strategies, losing 10, 15, 20 pounds and keep that off. Um, it's when you get up into the 40s, 50s, 60s, 80s, that type of stuff. The body doesn't like that. The body is going to respond. Um, really good news here, though, is the benefits of weight loss begin at 3% weight loss. It's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, you cut your risk of diabetes, you know, uh, by probably close to 50%, which is 3% weight loss. So six pounds of weight loss. And, and that's good from a health perspective. But people don't want to hear that because they don't want just six pounds of weight loss. But you get the point here. There's a little bit of behavior that results in some weight loss has tremendous health benefits. So I, let's talk a, just a little bit about the set point, because I think this is one of the things and I want to be sure that my understanding and the listener's understanding is correct around this, which is as you gain weight, each time you reach this new whatever, and it, it doesn't matter what the increments are, they're whatever they are, your body says, Okay, this is perfect. Yeah. And any attempt to move off that is actually fought very hard. So it 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 as you gain more and more weight, it becomes increasingly hard to move back down the scale. Is that yes, true? Sir. The cement dries. The cement dries. As you gain that weight, that wet cement dries, and that's the new foundation your body wants to be at. Um, it makes sense from an evolution perspective. From an evolution perspective, it would make absolutely no, no sense for us to ever want to give up weight. You know, through the centuries, there hasn't been enough calories. Right. So the body desperately holds on to weight. It would not make sense if we, you wouldn't survive, you wouldn't pass on your genes if your body was constantly giving up its energy supply for no reason. So it makes sense. Right. So. Our, our makeup and, you know, I'm going to say thousands, hundreds of thousands, millennia of uh, genomics is pushing us into this feast or famine environment. We're no longer in it. We're now surrounded all sorts of contributory factors, and we've had very little success to date. Before we get into some of the latest innovations, is there anything that you've learned Small steps, things that have really helped people um, yes. to benefit and, and get off that cement, to crack the cement at this point, using your analogy. And you're not going to believe what I'm going to say. Give yourself a break. The, the, the vicious cycle of shame, the vicious cycle of beating yourself up, the vicious cycle of self-judgment, it is the number one thing that sabotages people's attempt at changing their behaviors. I gotta say, I'm I'm truly surprised by that. That this is, you know, I, I and I'm not going to call that simple. It's not really. It's it's all about you know attitude, behavior, and you know, it's all in the brain, which is where everything starts and finishes. So I, I'm going to be a, a little bit um, edgy here and say, well, we've solved that problem now. 
Because we've got some new drugs that are really yeah. effective. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> so <laughs> game over, man. <laughs> kind of, but not really. In a way, the game's just beginning. And let me let me jump into that. Um, um, not only do we have new drugs, but by the way, there was three more publications yesterday in the New England Journal about new drugs in the pipeline. Um, so so and I, I want to do a few things. One is forget about weight. Let's stop talking about the scale. Let's stop talking about your weight. This isn't about weight anymore. The weight is a given. The new medications are going to produce weight loss. And what you're going to start seeing is this new magic number of 15% weight loss. That's it. You're going to see all the clinical guidelines get rewritten. And they're all going to say the goal is 15% weight loss. And then it, this is where it gets staggering. At 15% weight loss, say goodbye to hypertension. At 15% weight loss, forget new cases of diabetes. At 15% weight loss, you're going to reverse slash remission diabetes at a rate of about 70%. There's going to be a paper coming out showing at 15% weight loss, you reduce the risk of strokes and heart attacks by 30%. That's never been shown. So this isn't about weight loss anymore. What you talked about earlier, you know, this is, I call this the iPhone moment and people think I'm exaggerating. Mm -hmm. We're about to see prevention change in a way we've only dreamed about. We, we, I didn't see it coming in this form, but these medications have to be used right. And I'll go with the big three. Right medication. Wait, go ahead. No. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today I'm talking to Dr. Tim Church. He's the chief medical officer of Wonder Health. And uh, we had dived right into the medications and, you know, the um, inflection point, or as you call it, the iPhone moment, um, you know, truly significant, but it's not as simple as that. And it's not. I, I interrupted you and I want you to hit your three points. No, I, I missed my cue and I'm embarrassed. Um, no. So the big three, and, and, and it starts with, there's simply not enough healthcare providers trained in doing this. There's, there's 6,700 in the U.S. physicians who are board certified in obesity medicine. That's nothing. There's 22,000 oncologists. Um, so th there's not enough people trained in doing this, so, and which leads to point number one, right medication, right person, right reason. Just everybody riding the same GLP-1 that you see advertised is bad medicine because if you're an emotional eater, that's not the right medicine for you. There are other medicines for that. You know, that we have multiple weight loss medications that are approved out there that produce phenomenal weight loss. Everybody is so fixated with the Ozempics and the Wegovies right now. That, and, and those are great medicines, but they're not for everyone. So right medication, right person, right reason. Guess what? Better outcomes and lower costs. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you have to have a behavioral program attached to these. You have to. It's, 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 it's that simple. And, and it's not like other medications where it's kind of nice. This is a mandatory thing. And I'll give you a few reasons. One is the obvious one. You get more weight loss and you get longer term weight loss. So that's good. Um, but you've got to address the issue. What is the person's true challenge to why they there's different challenges we all face? You know, I'm an emotional eater. I'm a stress eater. I'm a rigid eater. I struggle with sugar. Um, you know, I'm somebody who, 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 um, always has physiological hunger. 
you have to match the right medication to the right to the right challenges, but you also need to be giving the behavioral strategies for those challenges. If you're an emotional eater, you need to be working on your triggers and why you got there and healthier ways to address that. So, hey, you got to get at the root cause. Um, this is really cool. Move, 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 move. It is a one plus one equals five when it comes to movement and these and, and these these medications. Why do you sleep better? Uh, you know, you feel better. And the other thing is because these medications are taking care of the calories in, you don't have to get these obnoxious doses of exercise we used to prescribe. Just go out and get 100 minutes a week of walking and, and everything will be better. The last one is going to sound a little weird, but stick with me. When you're losing this much weight, when you're doing weight loss through a medication that exceeds bariatric surgery, it changes your life and you have to be ready for that. Because we all have expectations about our weight. If I lose this weight, my sister's going to like me more. If I lose this weight, I'm going to get that job promotion. If I lose this weight, fill in the blank. They're not connected. We learned this with bariatric surgery. If you don't help people set realistic expectations about what weight means in their life, you're setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for really bad things. Another thing people don't think about, <laughs> not everybody in your circles are going to be supportive. They're called saboteurs. Saboteurs are a very common part of weight loss that unless you are in this business, you don't think about. It could come from your best friend. It could come from someone at work. It could come from a bowling buddy because you're threatening what they perceive as, as your relationship and their way of life with them. You know, your bowling buddies might not be happy because now you're not eating as much pizza with them as you used to. Your lunch buddy might feel weird because you're not eating the way you used to. So helping people recognize saboteurs, normalize saboteurs, and then giving them strategies for taking the saboteurs and getting them to engage with them and understand their journey. It's usually not that difficult. It's really important, but it can be very distressful if no one's explained to you what a saboteur is and somebody somebody in your life is, is making you know your journey real difficult. And the last thing, and, and this is really for employers, you need data. I mean, right now, if you if local docs are prescribing these things and you think that your carrier is going to give you usable data, you got nothing. You know, you, you just don't. I see these reports every day. The only thing you get is a price tag. And, and, and so, but you need data. What are people being prescribed? How long are they sticking to it? Are they doing the behavioral program? Are you getting the results you want? You know, and I hate to say this, this is cold, but is your investment paying off? Because make no mistake, this is an investment. These things are expensive. So, you know, top to bottom, you know, right medication, right person takes a really good prescriber. We use world, world classic prescribers who, who've been doing this for decades. Number two, you've got to have a great behavioral program. So we do. So we've always done. You know, we understand behavior. Then number three, because we were born in the employer space, we've always done this. You got to track and report. You know, you, uh, transparency is the key to all of this. So I, I, I'm going to essentially, you know, it, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent on this behavioral health. I think it has to be contributory. I, I'm going to push back a little on the the employer thing, but it's only again, it's my. I'll represent my bias. I think employers shouldn't be involved in the healthcare business at all. Frankly, they should just be out of it and, you know, worried about their employees' health, but not in the way that they are, which is all about cost and, you know, uh, those elements. But what strikes me about this is 
given the essential, I mean, almost everything in all of those points you cited was all about mental health or brain mm -hmm. health, right? And if I was to talk about any of the other episodes, all I ever hear is, we don't have those. You, you said we don't have the obesity physicians. We sure as hell don't have the behavioral health. How do we address that? Is there you know, tools, that, technologies? That's what we do. Our, our core weight loss program, you know, our core or our, our wonder weight loss program. I jokingly say it's a mental health program that masquerades as a weight loss program. Um, yeah, we have to take advantage of technology, take advantage of offerings like we have where where you can you can help hundreds of thousands of people at a time and you know what we'll do is because for some people they just need to be aware of this stuff and be given some strategies for other they need to be like you know what it's time for you to get a referral and go see a true professional so it's kind of like let's throw this net wide net help as many people as we can and let's refer the people who need the specialty care um no it's a challenge you hit you hit the nail on the head so assuming that we can start to change the way of thinking and you know it's really striking the way you highlight that my life's going to change obviously well not obviously but not something that had ever occurred to me um you know shocking that that's even a thing but clearly is because there's an expectation this huge change we, we've got this inflection point we've got these drugs do you see light at the end of this yes. tunnel are we are we getting the training are we getting the research what are, are we getting the data tell us if you can where we're going i'm very hopeful for the first time in my career i mean very hopeful i think we've got the right tools in the toolbox to help people whether there's behavioral programs with there's medications i think we're currently training enough people to help other people we're creating awareness and you got solutions like ours that can help hundreds of thousands of people at a time, as opposed to say a local doc who can help a couple of people at a time. So I'm absolutely optimistic. We're a little bit, not us, the, the, the world, we're in this teenager stage, you know, we're figuring it all out, but we're gonna get through the teenager stage. And I'm actually very, very hopeful about this space. And I can't emphasize this enough. There are so many frauds in this space right now. There are so many frauds, it drives me nuts so go with reputable people go with board certified people go with proven experience and go with transparency and, and you know of course it's obviously what we do or i wouldn't be saying those things but but you know one bad thing that came out of the pandemic is everybody and their brother created an app and they're trying to sell it to you so you know that's my one word of caution well i'm very hopeful about what's going on there's also a lot of this noise going on so I, I think you you hit one of the major areas of concern is sort of teasing out the fluff from the reality, um, you, you know, from a, an individual. And obviously there's, you know, employer-based, there's, you know, large groups. But as an individual thinking about this, do you have any closing thoughts on how to sort of focus this? I mean, yeah, at an individual level, again, first and foremost, give yourself a break. Second of all, don't take anything off Instagram or Facebook. Just don't. It's just don't. I read the stuff every night to see what's out there, and it's it's it scares me. And then try to attach yourself to the best you can to trained professionals that do this, like us, who can who can who can show you the path so you can walk down it. Fantastic.
Well, unfortunately, as we do each and every week, we've run out of time. Um, I think fascinating conversation, very timely, uh, very grateful for your insights, obviously, the long history and indeed the important guidance and sort of rethinking about this in a way that most people might not. Um, Tim, thanks for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I, I, I don't want to be too forward, but I hope we can do it again. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 